And I'm Ricardo Tick. And you're listening to The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other is not seen. We watch it and then we meet to discuss it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's film is... Deja Vu, True Stories from 1986, directed by David Byrne, produced by Gary Kerfist, written by Stephen Tobolowski, Beth Henley and David Byrne, starring John Goodman, Annie McEnroe, Swoozy Kurtz, Spalding Gray, Pop Staples, Tito Lariva... David Byrne. This is the movie with the best cast list ever, just because it's cool name after cool name. I love how he puts himself at the end, though, to get the and. <clears throat> Music by Talking Heads. Cinematography by Ed Lackman. And edited by Caroline Biggerstaff. <laughs> how big is her staff bigger? <laughs> and the synopsis is... Talking head singer David Burden plays host to this bizarre patchwork of tabloid-inspired tales set in the fictional town of Virgil, Texas. Cruising the streets in his cherry-red drop-top, Byrne introduces viewers to the local eccentricities... Oh, no, the local eccentrics gearing up for the town's 150th anniversary. They include a community leader with a thing for veggies, a woman so lazy she won't leave her bed, a lovelorn country singer, and more exclamation point so this week's film was Pepper Ricardo it was indeed why Ricardo because this fucking movie <laughs> rocks the socks <laughs> of my mind every time that I watch it um, I think that it is one of those um, criminally underseen under talked about movies that are purely unique, similarly to uh, Playtime that you've do- we've done recently. Yeah, yeah. Is a completely unique piece of work. It's not a movie that I seen done before Have or you met since. Another person who has seen both True Stories and Playtime. Uh, no, <laughs> I think we're the we bridge that divide, yeah. that great divide, that chasm it's of a, cinema. It's a very narrow fucking uh, was a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. Brought together in the centre by this podcast. (laughs) Yes, uh, I think that similarly to Playtime as well, it's a movie that uh, has a unique voice to it. And I I presume that's why it feels so unique. uh, Because David Byrne, this is a movie by David Byrne. (laughs) uh, In a way that it's kind of... It's weird because you don't expect somebody that is just a singer in a band to be not just like uh, he also did like some of their music videos and such but to come out swinging like this to make a movie so unique and so uh audacious and his only attempt (laughs) at cinema at the same time i wonder like who the fuck like who was the studio head that gave him the money like this was released like by 20th century fox i think (laughs) how do you pitch this like it's just to be a fly on that wall. I, I think it was one of those scenarios of uh, uh, 80s. Uh, uh, a lot of th- That's partly why I love the 80s as a cinema landscape. Uh, because it, it was a moment where cinema execs did not know what culture was. Yes. So like Their when MTV came erased. out or whatever. So like they just fucking had to. They were playing catch up. 
Yeah. So it's not like today that they're like ahead of the curve. They know how to advertise it. They know how to sell it. They know how to make it. It's pre-packaged, perfect. It'll make a billion dollars in the box office it's like if it's good movie. or bad. Great. Yeah. But like uh, in this movie, like uh, at the time, it'd be like, oh yeah, it's the same with uh, record labels and stuff. It's like, oh, mm. this guy has to be big so here you go a million dollars go make an album and then they come up with like the weirdest shit <laughs> because they didn't know like for them everybody was just weirdos <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean in spandex. yeah so i think with this like this came uh in the uh coattails of uh stop making sense yeah uh and i think it was part perhaps part of the contract for that movie for david Byrne to have a movie uh I might have read that somewhere and um so like it, it came together and like the top to bottom the uh credits are speak for themselves like ed lagman as a cinematographer is amazing like he's worked with some of the greats like Vin vendors and uh yeah like and, he comes with a reputation even at this point comes yeah. with a reputation and um also, like, having John Goodman always... Like, I think perhaps as well because John Goodman was, like, at the height of his fame. Like, uh, mm. like Roseanne kind of, like, on TV every day. Highest rated comedy. Oh, about Roseanne, yeah. So, like, uh, I think the, uh, having John Goodman in the film uh, would have helped the, the part of how do we advertise this. Looking at the trailers and the posters in this movie, uh, <laughs> you clearly know that that battle was lost. They did not know how to advertise this movie. Well, how could you? You cannot sell this movie in two and a half minutes. No. Uh, I haven't seen the trailer, actually. I haven't seen any trailer for this, and I'm quite interested having seen the film. I, it's amazing. Uh, I love the cinematography. Uh, I, I think that it is a movie that is like very meandering. It has the semblance of a plot, but not really anything. It's just uh, very episodic in a way. Mm. But what carries it along is an ideal, uh, ideas of thought and mood, which is very precise for it to work it has to be very well executed like we said about playtime that mm. when you're just uh um when you're just writing a mood for the entire movie you, you can't really main, misspell you have to yeah. maintain it yeah uh, i think that moment by mo- even though i love the mo- movie as a whole i think that individually there are scenes that are just unforgettable in the best possible ways yeah uh, i love the cast like spalding gray is an amazing actor and a really really good writer as well uh i recommend anybody that uh, listens to this to check out his monologues there's two of them that are in youtube in whole mm. uh, one is called the terrors of pleasure uh, which were <laughs> Uh, it was directed by Tommy Schlamme of West Wing yeah. fan. Uh, Thomas Schlamme. Oh, yeah. Also of Eeyore and... Uh, Ver- what else? Eeyore? What else did Tommy and, uh, Schlamme do? Oh, the other yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, only some of the ones that... Like, he did Studio 60, I think. But I don't know if he had any hand in, like, newsroom or... Uh, I doubt it. There's a lot messier. <laughs> definitely involved in sports night, though. Yeah. And uh, and then the, the second one that is on YouTube is called uh, Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and it was uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Really? Yeah, it's really interesting because of the the way it's set. When, is, when are these like what kind of? Uh, Grey's Anatomy, I think, is from the early nineties, and mm. uh, Terrors Are Pleasures from the late eighties. But uh, it's, enough about Spalding Gray. Yeah, though. but it's great. Like, his voice is amazing, and I love his the use of Spalding Gray in this movie mm. because like he has two of the best monologues in the movie, and I think it's like very precise why they cast him to mm. do it. Um, but like uh, I think as well, there's a care 
to the making of this movie the uh, if you just read the making of or whatever like it's just great mm. as in uh, um even the fact that they have 50 twins sets of twins in the movie 50 55 zero and they just call attention to a pair is that twins. is that real though yeah that's nuts yeah because like i think the I don't know if it is something that it, he just put in as an Easter egg in a movie, or if it is uh, something. Before Easter eggs are even a thing. Yeah, maybe. like uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like it, I don't know why. Like who knows what happens in it's David Burr's mind? One of many like, questions. I but seen, the, even the scale of that, like having yeah. to find fifty. What? Yeah. Jesus. But even like the the way that the, this movie was filmed is like. Even the details, like the house of the guy that is like the, the voodoo enchanter or whatever. The outside mm. is like super, uh, it looks like super decorated by art department. But it's just a dude's, an artist's house that David Byrne knew. So they allowed him to, to shoot inside <laughs> and outside your weird the house. Gaff? Uh, like <clears throat> he bought like the, there's these uh, tapestries in the wall of the house that is like Elvis and oh, JFK. JFK yeah. And they bought those tapestries while he was driving from New York to Texas to shoot the movie. In his red Cadillac. Uh, like I, I, th- that's the dream. Like I, I, I imagine so. that. <laughs> and um, he's uh, he was driving down like a motorway or something, and there was a a street seller that was selling uh, um, fucking tapestries. Tapestries, but like <laughs> he went, oh, how much is one of your carpets? And your man got absolutely offended by it he goes it's a tapestry and it's four dollars uh, and i think like both the the love like for the name like the correct noun to use it but also how low he values yeah. his own work i think it's such a like uh, i might rate but four dollars it, it is a uniquely american position yeah. that is like i am proud but know that i'm worthless there's that hustle uh, i think that this movie for something that came out in the 80s is incredibly uh it aged incredibly well i think that part of it is because it seems almost like a period piece made yeah. in the period that is being yeah. made at because everybody's dressed like the idea of what we have of the 80s yeah now and Texas. Rather, yeah <laughs> The, and I love like the script is amazing. I I loved like I think that David Byrne is an incredibly funny person. Like his performance is amazing in this. Uh, it's a performance though. It is like uh, <laughs> when you see his interviews or whatever. Like he even speaks with a different candor. It's like yeah. a very good uh, piece of acting, especially because you, uh, most people because he didn't give that many interviews at the time. Yeah, it seems like he's just David Byrne. Keep that enigma. And also because he's just like playing a narrator, really. Uh, it, it becomes like this weird surrogate for the audience. Yeah. Uh, I think that this movie is one of those few films that somehow resembled resembles the logic of dreams. Mm. The uh, the way that it's somehow real but somehow not. Mm. That like if you were looking at it uh, uh, awake, you go, oh, why the fuck was it scared or excited about this dream? Because it was clearly fake. Yeah, but because but you when are you're in it, yeah, in a, you're you're in it all the way. Uh, I think that like like I said, moment by moment, uh, the movie is incredibly memorable. Like uh, the, some of the set pieces that the the movie is surrounded by uh, are quite um, like they stick in the, your crawl. Like this is only like my second time watching this movie. Really, and uh, I remembered all <laughs> when of it. Did as you well. watch it? 
I watched it like uh, in second year of college or something. I rented from Laserdisc or something. <laughs> Back when Laser was on Angel Street or George's yeah. Street. I, but like it, it was a weird thing it was like during the, the period that i discovered like all the the weirdo directors that i liked uh, <laughs> uh girls Maggie. yeah yeah that i just went and uh just grabbed anything that had like a, a interesting kind of cover or whatever like the, it was before smartphones and anything yeah or like well before smartphones for me is 2013 right? <laughs> but that you couldn't like go and google oh what are the reviews of this movie yeah. you just had to like take it literally at face value mm. because i couldn't even go and check a trailer or whatever because it was on the recommended shelf in yeah Laser. so like i just took it and it's weird because the memory of it like of watching it i remember enjoying it mm. but i think it's a movie that i enjoyed it more after the fact like years and years after as i kept remembering it mm. rather than the actual experience of watching it because i don't remember mentioning it to anybody or whatever like if i watched this the first time i would have gone like to people going like oh, have you seen this movie did you know this exists you know be like the first one to be like answer no yeah uh, preaching from the the fucking pulpit <laughs> but uh in this case i don't know and then uh because of the podcast i was thinking about movies to pick and mm. this just came like i remembered this movie mm. and then I, I watched it uh with that sense of worry when you haven't seen something many yeah, times that's you're like <laughs> oh uh the, does it hold up <laughs> did i was i crazy and i'm like delighted to like as soon as the movie started i was like oh <laughs> all all bets are off. We're in good hands. Just the, the David Burns hands. The the bookends of the the little girl in the road. Uh, it's mm. so perfectly poised for the beginning and ending of the movie, and also like just the ending of the movie with the like the uh, soundtrack that Talking Heads does for this movie that is just perfect for the movie that it is. And leaving you with the city of dreams is such a lovely way to leave your experience. And also, it's like so nice to have one of these movies that you just want to stick around for the credits. Yeah. And not because there's a fucking post credit scene or something. It's just because you want to stay in that mood for as long as possible. Yeah. And uh, again, like, uh, it's weird because I don't even know why I picked this movie at the time because I knew Talking Heads, but I wasn't even that much of a Talking Heads fan or whatever. Mm. The color palettes, you can, like... Like it's very kind of like David Lynchon kind of mm. like blue velvet kind of, but less dark. It's way more optimistic. It's yes. way more <laughs> significantly. Uh, and I think that like this movie really wouldn't work uh, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, David Byrne has a love for his characters that mm. is not like judgmental or uh, vicious about these very complicated people, strange people. And I love the idea of the movie as well. That he just collected all these stories that were in tabloids. And it's the anti-tabloid though, yeah. in that sense, because its tabloids are there to give you sensation and to very much judge its people. You know, like whereas, I, even though that may have been the inspiration for it, I don't yeah. think that David Byrne has that. Uh, yeah, like I think the idea, part of the idea of the movie is like look beyond the headline kind yeah. of thing. And I think that, like, I love the idea of all these stories happening in one place. Because if you just have, like, even in Ireland, if you have a tabloid story about, like, some crazy West Dublin lady and then some <laughs> crazy farmer in the West of Ireland, it just feels like warm, even though it's the same story. Mm. It, it just feels like somehow less heightened because they're surrounded by normalcy. Yeah. Well, in this case, it's like everybody's on the, in the, in the same boat. 
and uh i truly like I, i want to get into also because i think it's a movie with a lot of like meaning and messages and stuff that like uh, i quite appreciate and uh, i just wondered what you thought about true stories uh well um <laughs> yeah um i think i can definitely say that i have never in my entire life or indeed in this during this podcast seen anything quite like this film <laughs> like <laughs> like <laughs> And from the very first scene, um, like, <laughs> I was just, like, perplexed, but also kind of, like, enchanted by the whole thing. Like, the opening is brilliant. Like, it really is. Like, just him, like, talking, like, the, you know, the weird little girl and him talking through the history of um, of Texas itself, which is, you know. I, I love that line that is, like, oh, the Spanish came in uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, tried to ask the Indians if they wanted to be slaves. <laughs> they thought Indian. about it and killed the Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, because it's so matter of fact, but like, it's this weird, like, it's quite, it moves along as well as he's like, you know, trucking through history. But um, yeah, I did wonder uh, like, uh, during it and afterwards, because like, I, I have a vague notion of the Talking Heads, like vague notion of David Byrne, like no real kind of a break, because I, I don't know if it's just because like my parents weren't under them or whatever, like I never really had a phase. Um, kind of how I was with a lot of 80s music, but uh, I did wonder if like this movie makes any more sense if you know talking heads or is it just like there's no way to like really ever truly grasp this film because it's like looking into the brain of, of David Byrne um yeah I, I don't know but at the same time I did think that it was probably better that I didn't have any real notion of what this was I that like it's the same how do you explain this movie but at the same time like I, I literally I read the vague synopsis I knew David Byrne that was it and I threw it on and had an experience um yeah like i think there's there's definitely like two really interesting things going on um in this that are very linked as well um one is the the visual style um which we'll get to um the second i think is his the way he represents like this very specific era in america like mid 80s america um but also kind of like any time in america in the 20th century like realistically um you're talking about this being like a dream and i think like the like the those are other worldly quality of it. It kind of it gives it like it's very specific to the eighties in one sense, but it's also it has like the evergreen quality of a dream in that like there's so much of like you know like you know nineteen fifty suburbia in this, and then like also the kind of like the technological wonder of like the space race, and but then like it, it I find it it's it's really fascinating. It um it's kind of like it's an odd mix, though. Watching, I was like, "It's it's like he's, you know, he's he's skewering, but at the same time, the earnestness of it, because like we're never far ever from the like rampant consumerism of the nineteen eighties, and like you know, like the impact of that on people and of society in general, and um, but at the same time, like the, the way that he films the mall, it's it's not like you know, like oh, look at all this, you know, it's it's like he's just walking through like this sort of like guide like an alien come to earth sort of like just like as if he's read like the the cliff notes of the you know what a mall is and he's just kind of explaining it to you but at the same time like it's never shying away from the fact that like these temples were, were built for people to buy more shit and yeah. people did and it the became, church is a consumerism it became, it became the center of their lives and you can draw a very clear line from there to now but um yeah, and even like the suburbs as well. If I can think of how like insidious the idea of suburban America actually is, done very well by David Lynch. Um, but at the same time, like I think he has a sort of an odd appreciation for 
people's lives were better at this time in a lot of ways because of more money and you know they were able to like suddenly like this version of the American dream of like you know you can have that house in the suburbs you can go to the mall every Sunday and buy whatever you want and you know you can have you can have TV you can have you know you can have MTV you can have your V you know what I mean like you can you can have buy movies and watch them at home you know what I mean like the idea of that of that it was obviously horrendous but also in a way the strange benefit that it brought to people's lives uh, in a very American sense but yeah it, like it, it is kind of like satire is the right word but it's like an earnest satire um, like but extremely earnest like, it's just I, it does it definitely comes down to, to his view of this time of like somehow understanding what it wasn't what it meant without getting lost in the whole thing but also just sort of like not judging it directly either and that's like an odd odd mix for someone who's making a sort of almost musical it's it's a bizarre fucking thing to watch um yeah like visual wise visuals wise um like the landscape of of america in general very much of how texas looks i think is really fundamental to the film and like the way like lackman obviously is you know looking at his like you know look up his imdbs obviously it's very like very cinematic um but there's so much of like you know herzog like jaramush the cohen's definitely like like, so much of this movie reminded me of uh uh, lo and behold that we've done for this podcast uh is that weird awkwardness the herzog gets out of people that they feel it's like he made fucking elon musk uncomfortable yeah which is one of the best Elon Musk interviews of all time it's fucking glorious because it's just that like Herzog is not he doesn't buy into people he doesn't buy into things you know what I mean it's it's, it's just just kind of like cocking your head to one side and going hmm <laughs> you know but with this odd complete unique character view of something and that's why Herzog is brilliant but I think Jarmusch is the same. I think the Coen brothers are the same, all in different ways of their own, have a way of like viewing America that's very interesting. Some of them American, some not. I did think a lot of Paris, Texas, like so much, you know, for various reasons, not least the visual style of it and the use of landscape in that film, the contrast between like, you know, the like barren wasteland and then very like built up city and suburbia and, um, like the way that the um like the way their houses in that movie as well like it's so like that because that's another movie where the art department is absolutely on point um i did think as well of um have you seen uh the errol morris um like um pet cemetery um gates of heaven yeah the, the one the horse i get the shoe for yes <laughs> friends um yeah i was also thinking because it's like a there's so much of like America like Americana and American like art and and like cinema and you know even I was thinking of like you know the Edward Hopper paintings and um of of capturing something about what America is and even when you're thinking of like you know because it's like it's like a postcard I was thinking of you know like the intro to LA Confidential where there's definitely a part of that where there's like a postcard where it's like welcome to beautiful Los Angeles or something or welcome to the city of angels of that, you know, which is very, very, very 1950s style. But there's like that element to it, yeah. but also something of like, you know, like Polaroid and like Kodachrome and, but without, yeah, it's without helped feeling. It's by the four by three aspect yes, ratio as well. But without feeling, without feeling like kitschy in any fashion and the way of how there are parts of Paris, Texas that shouldn't work. Yeah. But do. 
Um, like even uh, the use of like you know um, eight mil film and that, and you know. Funny you mentioned that. Uh, uh, did you uh, do you know the story about like how like uh, what's his name? Oh, the director of uh, like Confidential. His name escapes me. Oh, An- another guy that has like a weird cinema. Yeah, because uh, I remember us talking about that whenever. Um, what did he do in the? He he did the, he did the, these three movies back to back. He mm-hmm. did L.A. Confidential, then Wonder Boys, mm-hmm. and then he did In Her Shoes. Mm-hmm. I and, remember that. Yeah. Uh, but he sold L.A. Confidential by si- sitting down with an exec and went, "I'm not gonna give you a synopsis or a treatment. This is my pitch." And he just gave him a load of 1950s uh, postcards. Yeah. And then that, that was it. And when you've seen that film, that completely, yeah, yeah. of being able, like, because that, as we talked about it, the, as a period piece, is absolutely fantastic. Not just, like, as an adaptation, but... Um, oh, we've done it, like, Confidential for the podcast. I forget yeah, this. I mentioned this story on there. Like, is that the one where you hadn't seen it um, in ages? Yeah, yeah, yeah are, you yeah. had to, like, kind of, yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I think, I uh, I know we talk a lot about 99% Invisible, but, like, this is... It, it's so relevant here because like that show is so there are so many elements of like American design and identity and architecture and art and everything that they cover and particularly you know because they've they've done in that episode on like um like McGrew and, and the creation of the first malls and how they like you know the proliferation of it and you know like McMansions or like there's so many episodes and then you have that episode about the the guys that build a, a, an apartment in the middle oh, of a mall god. that was a recent one as well oh god so good so stressful as well when they're like so about getting caught, get caught yeah. even though it's like what is the worst thing that's gonna happen to them but uh, I just love how long that went on as well it was like fuck it for it years so good. <laughs> and then they get in and the, the, the lock had been bought and stuff and it's just like scary yeah because yeah. i remember i was like here in the flat by myself and i was listening to that and i was like cleaning or whatever and i was like oh but um yeah i think i was thinking about this and i was like it's like a film that's like both in and out of time at the same time and that's it's such an odd odd experience but at the same time even though it makes when you're watching it you're like what at the same time it's oddly familiar like yeah. not just for its like influences or whatever, but of its way of being oddly like um, prescient in strange yeah. ways of way as well of like not just of, like the way that American society was going to go, but even the way that like American culture was going to go, and the fact that like you know I mentioned Herzog, Jeremy Cohen's, yes, there are people who made movies in the eighties, but at the same time like it was, it's you know like especially well probably for the Cohen brothers anyways of how they were kind of like developing their particular style and stuff and you know you can look forward into their careers and see things in this movie like it's I find it really interesting um especially like the Cohen brothers in the way of um how they create sort of small characters yeah. um and how they're able to like um I know someone was talking about this possibly um possibly how to frame a painting I'm not sure about um how just how they're able to like create and illustrate everything about a character in a really short amount of time of of like just in like just the way they shoot the person and like you know great casting and everything um i think he definitely again that they use john goodman all the time yes it's perfect for that kind of thing connections um uh yeah like um i do like yeah there is one there's one part of it that sort of didn't that kind of like annoyed me a little bit because I was kind of like, uh, right. I think there's a section kind of like in the middle towards the end that it falls down a little bit. And I think that's it's sort of it's over focus or over reliance on John Goodman's character. Yeah, because I think that everyone else kind of gets the right amount of time 
and I even like you know like his relationship with David Byrne and how they kind of like move in and out and everything and um, his yeah. wardrobe though huh his wardrobe though yeah yeah but like yeah, he looks pastel, like a hipster of nowadays the like, pastel suits though it's just oh, with the nike how shoes does, how does he describe himself um whenever he's doing his like um fucking tinder bio on tv um where he's like i'm like a you know something about being a panda uh what i do have written down is i've forgotten what these peppers represent <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh i love that scene i think that 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 is the scene that really uh, holds up for nowadays as well. Hold on, we'll come back yes. to that. Let's go back to John Goodman. Um, yeah, I can't remember. He said something really funny about being a panda or like his, his panda physique or something. I maintain a panda like physique or something. But um, yeah, like it did. I think it follows the film is best whenever it's just kind of floating around between the different characters and situations, not quite focusing on one because they're all sort of linked but also separate. Um, and yeah, like it, it didn't annoy me because I really like John Goodman, but I was kind of like, eh, you know. Yeah, it could be like... Uh, uh, Obviously, his big number is fantastic. Yeah, uh, people are like us. And he's a really good singer. Like one yeah. of those hidden kind of like really good David Byrne impression sure, as well. you're not expecting it. And you kind of think that like it's a movie that's going to be forgiving of whatever he does. But it's like, no, he, he rocked that. Yeah. yeah, I love as well how he pretty much wrote that song in an evening because when he's presenting that to the to the lady before he's like oh i haven't written that part yet. <laughs> yeah it's just they're like it's too sad yeah like it's so <laughs> funny uh but i think that it could have been a byproduct of having john goodman in the movie that it could have been a studio note or something that is yeah, like we like need that, more john goodman it but. May, yeah it makes sense definitely but it just it was just one thing that, that kind of bothered me a little bit but like i did like did i like it yes <laughs> like i mean it's it, it's baffling but it's also really funny and like i mean it's not something you could ever really even hope to explain to someone it's just it is a film that you need to watch and i know that sounds so fucking annoying but it really is and i think if you if you want to be convinced to watch it if there's anything that's going to do it what might possibly be um looking at the if you go onto the criterion collection website because it's on the it's in the criterion collection which i find fascinating um and yet no one's seen it um that they like because obviously whenever things get released on criterion they do like a whole you know faff and they they have the cover beautifully designed and you get a load of beautiful things with it because they're expensive you're buying it's it's a whole event um it's like it's like buying it's like buying vinyl let's say but um the actual like the the blinder notes what are they called yeah. on dvds like there's a whole it's beautiful like you, you you want it just for that but they also have like um actual tabloids using all the yeah. different stories from this and it's called like the obsessions of david Byrne. <laughs> it's like i mean that i think maybe that might more than like any poster or watching any trailer ever could have like seeing it's like a way of illustrating like or highlighting the care that's put into this movie and something like that of like you know that it's it's like the the use of like the visuals and yeah just it's really it's really beautiful over there highly recommend you go on and have a look at it but um yeah the, the other thing as well is it's it's like probably like david Byrne is sort of narrating and that shouldn't work but somehow it does i think part of that, like, what you're saying about the the performance of it is he does tie the whole thing together to the point at which whenever it was getting a little bit john goodman heavy whenever he disappeared for a while i was like where's david yeah and then he goes back and you're like david and also like i think i <laughs> think it's a big roundy head in him, like. <laughs> his delivery as well it's so perfect for like uh he's like he says it's the weird thing about performance sometimes that like 
it's clearly as well the genius of him is that he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So his deli- he'll say a delivery a line that makes no sense if you don't deliver it exactly like that. Yeah. And then it gets meaning because of, of the way that he puts yeah. it. Like when they're in the mall, they were saying that he goes, oh, yeah, this is a place that there's no time. What, is, what time is it? No time for looking back. And it it feels like something that would be like in somebody's like wall or something, yeah. you know, like in a somebody's uh, yeah yeah with little sticker. flowers or something. But somehow it becomes like both uh, yearning and uh, of the moment mm. and lovely. And you go, yeah, that's why they're there because it's like not looking back, but not in a bad way. But it's he's not, saying that yeah. about a mall as yeah. well. So it's like, yeah, it's so interesting. And then like, it's it immediately followed by the weirdest scene in the movie. I think that is the you're pageant. The one. pageant. <laughs> when the thing falls over. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the clothes just gets bigger and bigger and, and bigger. It's so good. But then you get the little reference to it later whenever he's at the dinner and it's like, oh yeah, she's fine. And it's so like lovely as well. Like the music that like she just starts singing out of nowhere yeah. like the 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 project where the clothes gets weirder and weirder but somehow like <laughs> reflect the, rap- the history it's of the america rapid, in a way like, succession of it as well yeah. it's like on and on and on like i think my favorite outfit is the 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 lady dressed as a greek uh pillar yeah. <laughs> the with the, the 80s shoulder pad it's like um, I did. it reminded me of like the uh late 90s uh disney hercules movie that they oh, yeah. did like little twisty things into everything <laughs> yeah. because they thought that that's how we make it greek yeah. you just like everything has a twisty bit to the end it's so disney it's like so... even in the chin yeah. there's like twisty bit that's greek right yeah. um yeah oh, jesus that's <laughs> a twisty bit chin chin dimple and uh, James Woods as the villain, which is like if there's one person born to be villains. Oh, is, uh, yeah, with the hit. Oh, yeah, yeah I forgot the that. fire. That's a good Hades. point, actually. I forgot that, that was James Woods. But I, or I possibly never knew. I think I saw that this movie like has like what you were talking about. Um, thing uh, coming back to a point that you mentioned about like uh, being a Talking Hands fan. And mm. so I think what it would give you more than anything is just the realization that this film is possible. Rather than give you a better understanding of it, yeah, I think it's not having uh, as much as a shock of having it because of seeing this. Because uh, Talking Heads uh, music has was always like postmodern in a way, but like true art house music, but in a pop sensibility. So it'll be catchy tunes, but at the same time super experimental. Mm. Uh, and I think that is. Uh, uh, really carried over to this side as well. Like the the fucking, I, I recommend everybody to check the the ch- was it the Church of Genius of Sub Genius. Hmm? The uh, David Byrne is a member of the Church of Sub Genius, and the part in the church in this movie is the the song <laughs> is inspired by it, and it's a church that is like uh, non. Um, it's an atheist church about philosophy, but it's also about like the idea of how. Um, just because you be- the, don't believe in God. Yeah, that like the communal experience of going mm-hmm. to worship is great, but uh, th- like there's so many great things about it because they have like no reason to be there. Mm-hmm. They develop the whole background of the church out of nowhere. Like they just like invented shit. So like the church was founded by like a 1950s salesman that like is fictitious. <laughs> uh, he was assassinated. So half the sermons are just 
people doing like wackier and wackier <laughs> conspiracy theories about why he was killed and how he was killed uh, and I think that is like truly wonderful and uniquely American as well uh, I I think also the uh, what you were mentioning of um, of the ideas of like America and uh, the, the postcard aspect of it I think that it, it still works as a film nowadays because it is that, but also is that he uh, somehow was able to be prescient about how America was going to develop afterwards. Mm. Like, uh, not to go back to Spalding Gray, but the scene, the, the musical scene, and that as well, I love that Spalding Gray doesn't talk to his wife, <laughs> that they just talk through his kids. Uh, <laughs> that he starts giving David Byrne this speech that you wrote that note that is like, I can't remember what these peppers signify. <laughs> the, uh, he starts giving a speech about how America is moving on in the tech world. And your and, job will become your entire identity. Yeah. And weekends are a thing of the past. They're an idea. People go to work because they want to go to work. And this idea how like the big corporation, like the General Electrics and... Uh, and General Motors and mm. Ford and like the big employers are all things of the past. And the secret was like to keep the person that was going to invent the next big thing mm. in your town. So they invented there. Mm. Uh, so I think that it, it was like for something done in the 80s, uh, it really hits a nail. Also, like the whole montage about advertising that mm. it has that is amazing. Yeah. I, love, oh, yeah, I love these razors so much. I bought the company. <laughs> <laughs> They're all real as well. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I But like David Byrne's delivery, I get fucking get when he's like driving in the fucking, uh, because like Cadillacs, old Cadillacs, because they were this like a sofa. This is not a, a rented car. Yeah. And the Cadillacs were like the, the front driving seat, uh, was a sofa <laughs> like you literally couldn't move it up and down yeah so like to you could move the pedals up and down and you could move the steering wheel up and down so you could reach it and uh it won't seem like because all the driving bits are like done to, against like really yeah. back back production yeah. like unpurposely done that like the steering wheel must have like come loose or something he's just going around <laughs> yeah. he's like ooh, fancy driving <laughs> and then um, I, I just love how he both is part of the story and completely like adjacent to it. Yeah. Uh, has, like if he wasn't there, nothing would have been different as yeah. well. Like truly, like the the fly on the wall, but like he's a, what he's a fly on the alien wall. Friend. Like, yeah, yeah. Like oh yeah, I'm going for dinner with them tomorrow night. And he's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> I forgot what these peppers represent. <laughs> Oh jeez! Like I, I love the idea of a place that they have a lip sync bar oh instead God, of the karaoke bar. It's like yeah, you're watching it. And I was like, this is also kind of prescient when, for some reason, or in our current culture, lip syncing <laughs> is a massive deal. It's like this is the ultimate challenge. Like because the thing about lip syncing is that it's all about like the performance yeah. of it as much as it is about you know mouthing words. So it's such like the idea that like not karaoke lip syncing also incredibly democratic yeah it's so egalitarian <laughs> that you don't like you don't have to have the talent like yeah. anybody can do it if you put your yeah your heart into it and i think and also how orderly yeah. they are to like yeah. to have their, you their all turn get, you all get a line and it's like you know but you're able to to like you know because what i like about this as well is that you know these are obviously thick there's like john gibbon and other characters whatever, but a lot of it's just like random people but they're all into it like it doesn't i think that the like the casting of the extras in yeah. this and the way of like 
you know, it doesn't feel like the Truman Show. You know yeah. what I mean? And that it's like you know, obviously that's supposed to be like stagey or whatever. Like you feel like those people live there. Like yeah. it's it, it feels like a town that will have a, a festival specialness or yeah. whatever it is. The the name of it is it specialness? I think. I think possibly. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, uh I love the the little uh, miniature cars in the. <laughs> It's so weird. It's like this, it's so pastel. Yeah. Like we have to talk about the art department because it is, it is fantastic. Like just, like oh, even like, like you just think of how many dresses and outfits that there are in that pageant and yeah. how quickly they are on camera. But when you, if you pause it, they're amazing. And it takes so long to like just to, like the amount of fabric that it takes to dress John Goodman. <laughs> In his pastel suit. Yeah, like uh Yeah. <laughs> but like uh I I get like I do think again not just because I love Spalding Gray, mm. but like the two monologues that he has because he's kinda of like the voice of reason in the town, even though yeah. he's still you can see that he's part of the town, but he's kinda of like the respectable, like the smart guy in the town. Yeah. That like the when they're talking about how when you live at the edge of the town, mm next year that's not gonna be the edge of the town and when you move in it becomes like you're like a pioneer Mm. and i love even the choice of where they decided to to film uh those houses because it's such a weird architecture that Mm. like uh the camera is just panning uh like in the car going past driveways and they have like four door four car um garages yeah but you can't even see a front door Mm. everything is in the other side of the house the windows and everything so when david byrne goes who lives in these houses you you you're curious you're curious because you can't see anything it's like so like beyond picket fence that you can't even like you you really have to make an effort to like see your neighbors you know Mm. kind of thing i think yeah like in the the color palette of the suburbia of it definitely made me think of edward scissorhands as well and then i love that straight after that speech that they just walk away and also he has like this really like cool like back and forth with the builders like that they're having a break (laughs) and then these kids just come in singing a song and they're like playing and stuff and it's like so they you know, like the sandlot kind of thing yeah. that is the <clears throat> the the idea of uh, American childhood is like so it, it it feels almost like the perfect American town because mm. it's so imperfect. Yeah. Imperfect. imperfect. Um, well, yeah, I think imperfect because even like the couple that don't talk to each other, it's oddly working for them. Yeah. Though, you know, even like the woman who do like, is telling these insane stories about her life. It's like you know no one's really kind of like oh that crazy bitch yeah. oh you know they're not looking at her weirdly and she's also, just allowed to be like that and like david byrne is there as this weird alien self and they're all like oh hey and also God. like yeah, the the other movies would go like oh she's lying yeah Look, she's lying and she's a compulsive liar but you can tell that it's more that she don't doesn't know what to say mm. and wants to say it because she wants to say something because she wants like that human connection mm. and it becomes even tragic because nobody can be truly her friend yeah or her lover because how can you be if uh, she says that she fucked jfk or something <laughs> you know yeah they just get more and more crazy i do like though that she has her date with john goodman as well it's like she's just like oh (laughs) for john goodman but he gets it in the end yeah like i I, like i think that that's the only issue that i have with the movie really is the the uh woman in the bed uh side plot i think that 
it, well, like, also, it's a movie that is strangely white for something set in, in yeah. Texas. But um, at the same time, I feel that is like the portrayal of the view of America. So, and I think there is a, a scene that rewatching this movie. I think uh, is a comment because everything in this movie is very precise. Yeah. The position of everybody is, is that David Byrne points at a, there's a group of like young black women in the mall. Mm. And next to them, there's a bunch of really big, like, like fucking golden girl style old ladies, you know, Mm. like uh, fucking, what's her name? Like Betty, Betty White kind of thing. And, uh, uh, David Bourne points at the general space and goes, what about them? And John Goodman goes, oh, they're a little bit too old for me. And completely yeah. bypasses the the really beautiful black women. Yeah. And I think that that's because it is so specific, the, 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 the entire movie, that uh, I think that's a comment. I don't know if it's enough. But at the same time, mm. uh, like, uh, I don't know how you put racial relationships in this movie as well. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that I I'd rather know. him not tackle it in, rather yeah. than in 1986 and, yeah. and rather than him doing it badly. But like uh, that would date. Yeah. Whereas that little nod doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's like how much there is a like a prominent black character that is given like his due, let's say. Mm. And again, like it would almost feel problematic before. Like if you just read that, he's like, yeah, he's the voodoo fucking priest. Yeah. But then it's like how. No, but there's the little moments of like the little kid. And, you know, like that's a perfect little moment there whenever they're watching the TV. And then he goes back and sits beside her. Like that's lovely. That's a lovely little. And also that the the voodoo priest is also the the assistant for the the rich lady in the house. And I think that like that power dynamic, it kind of like, yeah, the server, it's kind of problematic. But I think problematic that it's called attention to that is like. Yeah, it's easy to uh, fucking uh, stay in bed all the time if you pay somebody probably shit wages mm. to like do everything in the house. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you're nice to them. Yeah, and yeah. The, and the other problem that I have with the movies that I think of all the top light stories that he picked, I think that the the lady in the bed is the 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 yeah. least uh, like eye catching or whatever. Yeah, uh, because. It, it, it doesn't feel uh, like the other ones, like the woman that won't stop lying, the guy trying to like invent Tinder before phones invented <laughs> or, or whatever. Like they feel so he human impression kind married. of thing. Well, oh, the other one is kind of like, I believe in matrimony. Yes. I, I, I love that bit as well. And I like that they end up together. I, mm-hmm. I just think that, again, like you said, uh, I don't have a problem how it's like John Goodman focused because by God, I like John Goodman. Mm. Oh like, yeah, me too. I, watched always the fucking Steven Spielberg movie about Richard Dreyfuss dying and becoming a ghost uh, and th- which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen I've seen it twice which is a terrible movie because John Goodman is a, like very prominent in it I do like John Goodman uh, but I, I love John Goodman like even in Argo yeah Argo. oh Jesus that is uh... <laughs> I can Jesus. and the, so the bit in Argo that they don't up. mention that I on upon review the how uh, dodgy uh, 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 what's his face uh, Chindimpol yeah Affleck's uh, <laughs> character was in real life that they held held off releasing everybody 
to wait for fucking Jimmy Carter to leave presidency because it was the day after the inauguration of George W. Bush, H.W. Bush. Mm. So they waited so they could give George H.W. Bush the credit of freeing the, the Americans. They risked everybody's lives just because Jimmy Carter sold peanuts. Well... There's another reason to dislike that film. Yeah. I, although I kind of enjoy it, even though yeah. it's a load of schlock. But, um, okay. well, like, first of all, like, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, I think that it is a movie that, like, most people should watch, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. Like, it's one of those movies that I understand why there's no mass audience for it. I don't yeah. criticize anybody that Who doesn't get it kind for? of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For David Byrne. Yeah, pretty much. It's the thing is that, for like, America. Watching this movie is like, like, opening a window straight into David Byrne's. Is, brain but it, his heart. but it doesn't make you understand him anymore no, no and i no. love that like steven tobolowski is a co-writer in this he's like the the insurance guy from uh groundhog day you know like you know me ned, ned. Bryerson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there may have been a time when me and ricardo were driving back from bray where it took us a good half an hour to try to remember his name <laughs> no we were trying to remember fucking uh, no, we were trying phil to remember connor's him. that was it we knew Ned's name that because he it. says it about ten times in the movie. <laughs> uh, but like another thing that I, I I'd say just because this came up, like Steve Tobolowski, there's a a documentary about Tobolowski. Like the Tobolowski is just given like fucking industry stories. He's like an interesting character because he's like been in like weird, like from like big budget productions yeah. to like really weird ones. And uh, I love it that um, he was in a Steven Seagal movie. Uh, he plays like a, a rapist kind of character. The Steven Seagal comes in and shoots him to to death, kind of mm. thing. And the thing is that uh, Steven Seagal, uh, halfway through shooting uh, the movie, after they shot like the death scene, he became a, became a pacifist for a little bit. So he didn't <laughs> want to kill. He, he didn't want to kill anybody in the movie. So after he uh, shoots Tobolowski like about ten times <laughs> on the on the in the film like no he was already a pacifist and they had to convince him that it was worth killing him because he was a pedophile and then oh so he's a pedophile and a rapist okay right yeah and then uh, at the uh, and the so it took him eight, like Tobolowski has to convince Steven Seagal to shoot the scene because Steven Seagal is having none his of his heart it. was not in it and then uh, afterwards when uh, editing the movie uh, Seagal is like oh yeah I regret doing this so they brought uh, Tobolowski to ADR that after getting shot about 10 times like the Seagal turns around and he goes like oh yeah I'm alright in the floor kind of thing call an ambulance please or I'll die but I have half an hour before doing so or something like that but it's like it's a really interesting documentary like I like oh Tobolowski he's a, a, a I did not know that was his name thing. but he does turn up with things and you're like ah and uh what's your uh like do you have any final thoughts before we move to favorite then um no not really i mean it was an experience it was it was an odd i mean we like watched this on like a fucking tuesday night or a monday night or something it was it was an odd odd experience but um at the same time like it did oddly warm my heart and as it went along it just sort of charmed me more and more it was yeah it's it's bizarre but at the same time, it does oddly complement a lot of other things, and I think it is worth a watch. And it's not long; like yeah. it's not, it doesn't hang around at all. And so. it just like, 
like, it's like 87 minutes or something. And it's like a warm hug of a movie. Yeah, it is. Without having... Like, Without being, like, saccharine yeah. or anything. I mean, like, you don't have to have... Well, it's a too great... weird to be saccharine. Yeah, well, like, you don't have to have either the kind of, like, interest in, like, America as an idea as we do. Like, definitely not, because you were aware of these things already. Yeah. Like, it's a very, like... Very like um like cine literate and cultural re- literate history li- you know what I mean He's... and even just as a a time capsule yeah. or like what it was and yeah. then seeing what we are now it's kind of like oh mm. uh, we took a left turn somewhere oh, Reagan it wasn't, it wasn't a left turn though <laughs> <laughs> course correction oh, we um, took a sharp right like <laughs> a hard right a far right um a third right. <laughs> Ricardo, what was your favorite thing? Uh, David Byrne, I think. Really? I think like that, like not only like in directorial and stuff. I just love him as a presence in the movie. Like, yeah. let's say, uh, obviously, it wouldn't be this movie, but if David Byrne hadn't written and directed this movie and did the soundtrack, yeah, and he was just performing this performance, uh, I'd still think that he's the best thing about the movie. Yeah, because I just. I, I, I don't know how it works because he's talking nonsense. Like, he's just yeah. there. And it, it makes <laughs> sense somehow. I don't know. But um, of the... Yeah, in the, in the second part to be, like, the music. Mm-hmm. I think also that we didn't mention that you usually hate musicals. So, uh, before you but go it's to... it's not a musical. Yeah, like a quasi-musical, yeah. really. But... Uh, yeah, like, I really like him uh, as a person as well. Like, even as an artist, I like how he uh, pushes the boundaries and stuff and, like, the duet. Like, there's very few people with his back catalogue. He could be, like, fucking doing, like, the joining the Rolling Stones and doing the fucking <laughs> geriatric tours, like, farewell yeah. tours the last 22 years. Yeah. But he rather go... up and, by strings. Yeah, he rather fucking go and... Oh, Jesus. Talk about that, like, the saddest fucking gig no. I've ever was saddest gig that I ever was was fucking taking my mom to see fucking 75 year old Julio Iglesias and the fucking guitarist is just like moving him like a chess piece around the stage and the sound was crap somebody fucked up in the background and he's just like getting frustrated but like he doesn't even have the energy to be fucking angry anymore (laughs) oh god did your mom enjoy it at least no she was like he's (laughs) bad Lady. in spanish but you know um <laughs> also because i was tired of thinking you've ever said but like i think the part of it as well is that like for people like julio iglesias and like especially like my mom's generation idea of julio iglesias yeah. is that you don't really go for the music you go for the sex appeal <laughs> and if the yeah. guy is about like that you think like yeah i could not only he i'm way above his league now yeah and be that he might die if I pull him. <laughs> <laughs> he might die if I look at him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh dear. Uh, what What was your favorite thing? Uh, the fact that when I read the synopsis on IMDb and I looked up and saw the genres and they said comedy and musical, that when I then watched it, that it wasn't actually a musical. Oh, not, okay. not, not really. David Byrne. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Obviously, he is the movie. Like that. I mean. You can't. This thing doesn't exist without David Byrne. And I mean that in a in very integral fashion. Like it's, like it is. It is an experience. And I know you could say that about like, oh, I went to the cinema and saw, you know, like whatever the new Avengers, whatever. You know, oh, it was an experience. But like, this is truly something that 
you, you're never gonna you never will have nor will you ever again see something like this yeah that's somehow also oddly successful so yeah it, it, and i also love my favorite thing is that the movie actually got fucking mad well, yeah that also i don't think that it's one of those movies i i did mention like it, it has weird parallels with playtime that i didn't realize until we started talking about the movie yeah uh, or haven't watched them quite close together. Yeah, well. like uh, I think that it has uh, this thing that it shares with Playtime that is a movie that could only have been made by that person at that, at that exact time yeah. and period. And if even if the same person tried to make a, that, the same movie a year later or a year before, mm. it wouldn't have made it. Like the two the films same. that were obviously like building in their creators' minds yeah. for a long time, but this was the right time for them to come out. And I think as what David Byrne uh, uh, said that the only regret he had about this movie is that he was working on it when Live Aid happened, so that's why he oh. Talking Heads didn't play in. It would have been Philadelphia, I think, that they were supposed to be playing. Yeah. In. So they had to pull out. I always love Live Aid. The 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 watching it is the crappy crappy live kind of updates about phil collins like in the concord because phil collins played the first gig in wembley and then got the concord to oh, play the last yeah, gig in, uh, in philadelphia <laughs> and then you have like who is on phil collins watch now <laughs> like it's amazing oh i thought it, like live it is one of those things that you just have to throw on every so often because yeah. it's so nuts um, uh, what was your least favorite thing I suppose the reliance on John Goodman. I think what you were saying is probably true that they just want a little bit more of him in there to kind of keep the keep the audience going. Although I would love to know how many people walked out of the cinema when they saw this. Um, like <laughs> of the few people that went to the cinema to actually see it, um, all, all three of them. Yeah, <laughs> two and a half walked out. Um, yeah, like, but at the same time, I could. Well, Charlie Sheen, the other dude, that the kid. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, the weird religious kid, by the way. I don't want to. Don't want to think about. I don't want to think about that. Actually, I don't want to think about any of the scenes. Um, <laughs> like ever since Martin went off in his weird OJ defense. Um, so, Why? So bizarre. So bizarre. But like, whenever you hear though, I, I think he's been kind of doting for a while. Because even if you hear like everyone who's been on the West Wing Weekly talking about what it was like to work with Martin Sheen and how he could never remember anybody's name so there's like that scene whenever he's like on drugs and they're all like uh mr president did you take the percocet or the valium he's like i wasn't supposed to take both and he forgets everyone's name it's like he just was like that yeah so you're like okay okay fine but yeah no that well, like he probably forgot what evidence is um <laughs> uh but yeah i mean the same time i didn't ruin the film or anything it was just like a thing yeah uh what was your least favorite though? i think it's the 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 whole bit with I don't know if it is because of the actual story beats or if it is the it comes back to it a couple of times that it is the the lady being in the yeah, bed. Yeah, she might get a little bit too much time, yeah. maybe. Yeah. At the same time, it's because of her that we get the fucking TV ads montage, which is great. But at the it, yeah. but at the same time, I don't know if uh, it's completely worth it for it. But mm. uh, altogether, the rest of the movie uh, is great. I think. Uh, like even the the like it's slightly perfect but slightly shaggy as well but like yeah. on purpose and I, like it gives yeah. it this lovely quality and again it's clearly a movie that inspired Wes Anderson but what <laughs> movie hasn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come and see. That didn't inspire Wes Anderson. I wager that he hasn't even seen it. That's not fair. Poor Wes getting a bash and don't hate Wes. Just he's 
he's good as well. You know what I mean? It's like he has movies that I really like, but at the same time, it's like I'm not, not staunch. Just yeah. kind of, you know, yeah. Your grand ones, your grand. Keep doing what you're doing. So yeah, that's uh, that was the end this week. <laughs> that's that's true um, stories. Oh, where can they find us, Ricardo? They can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rec Game. They can find us on the Dublin Digital Radio Mix Cloud for our back episodes. We're also on Dublin Digital Radio every Monday, 11 to 12. And you can find us on iTunes or your podcaster of choice. Uh, our Gmail is the recommendation game at gmail.com. I was tempted to just pull out the power cable there. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, next, next, next week's film? Uh, next week's film is chosen by Orla. It is Obvious Child. Oh, that's an obvious pick. Uh, I'm joking. Oh, what year? Have you, are we still in the tweens? Maybe. 2015? Okay. 2016, maybe? I'm not actually sure. Oh, we're but, uh, we're still on brand then. Jenny Slate. Um, yeah, I will leave this deck. Let's see if we will sl- if I'll slate it. Ah, I'll hold that hope. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> until then, I was over the beginning. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>